if your family level of differentiation is low, meaning there's overconnectedness, enmeshment, or the cutoff that, as you talked about a moment ago, doesn't allow for mature, healthy growth in interpersonal relationships within the family because you're cut off and you're stuck at, well, I cut him off when I was 22 years old and I'm 42 now. Well, yeah, part of you is emotionally 22. That's just how it is. It just Mm -hmm. works. That's just how it works. I'm not saying it works well, but that's just how things work. So those patterns may be in place for a long time that you it's really hard for you to even see, oh, what this is a triangulation. This is what we're talking about here. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. So Elliot, we continue our series on family drama, how to minimize it, and how to use the holiday season as an opportunity to become more emotionally mature in our responses and our reactions and our interactions with our family. And we've talked about some of the expectations and ways to keep the big picture in mind. We've talked about boundaries, which is such a universal construct that we can learn by practicing with our family of origin and take those skills to everyone else in our lives. And then we were getting ready to talk about triangles, which is a family systems construct that's very fascinating and also very useful. Once we understand it, we can master it and can make huge differences for us. But we decided last week that, you know what, we need to really set a foundation by talking about individuation from family of origin and how we can be both very close with our family and yet also very independent and why that's actually optimal for family functioning, especially as we are interacting as adult children in our adult family of origin. So for anyone who hasn't caught those episodes, we invite you to check back on those so that you have all the building blocks to engage with us in this conversation today in which we will talk about triangles. Elliot, let's start with just a basic definition of what a family triangle is, what we're talking about. Oh, you want me to do it? (laughs) Are you? you... (laughs) Okay, so let's start with a basic definition of what a triangle is. And it's just like it sounds. It's three prongs, three units, three people when we're talking about family systems. And I'm gonna look to Murray Bowen, who's one of the fathers of family therapy. He defines the triangle as the smallest stable relationship system. And that sounds like, well, wait, we're going to we're going to go into why triangles really aren't healthy, but they are stable. And that seems maybe like an oxymoron, but what happens is a dyad, so a husband and wife or a mother and a child or a father and a child can be very stable in times of peace and when there's no stress or trauma or anxiety. But when we have that stress that hits the dyad, we tend to want to loop in a third party. Now, this can be very helpful if you think about going outside the family. For example, a, a couple who's going through marital crisis, they loop in Elliot and they loop in a third party to help stabilize that dyad that is struggling with the stressors that they're dealing with. That could be a healthy example. You can think of an unhealthy example if the, if the couple's going through problems and one of the parties gets a therapist. Now we have a triangle, but we've got two people aligned And the third party, who's the most important to fix the marriage, by the way, the other spouse, is not involved in that dyad. So this is an example of an unhealthy triangle. So elaborate. Yes, one thing, Karen, in our marital crisis counseling work, we don't say fix marriages, we say heal marriages, just to help you with your your semantics. Words are Um, powerful. 
Secondly, uh, the scriptural emphasis on a cord of three strands is not easily broken. From Ecclesiastes speaks to this triangle positivity of foundation, and if we're believers in Christ, that third party with us is the Holy Spirit. Again, to do what Bowen said and what you were articulating, to stabilize the diet, to, to keep the strength of the two in the support of the three. And we can think of that in any context or concept as individuals or married partners or in a family system. So I'm very thankful you gave the positive framework of the triangles first. Yeah. But the triangulation aspect is when we start using a third person to communicate to the primary person. And sometimes that can be beneficial. We all can admit we triangulate at times intentionally. And we can do that in a positive manipulative way or a positive communicative way that's not meant to hurt someone or harm someone, but to encourage and strengthen. But the essence of triangulation, using triangles to destabilize, or which can lead to fragmentation of a family system, is when we are less than authentic, less than real, and start using a third party to communicate something to the primary party that we really need to do ourselves talking about ownership individuation differentiation and that's the concept here to take the positive and then bring in the shade side right because it can be as simple as like you're saying not having the courage to be authentic with the person with whom you've got beef and so you loop in a third party and this can go to roommates in college sally's irritated with jenny and then she talks to michelle about it instead of going directly to jenny and certainly in families, it happens all the time. In fact, when you start looking at your communication and the content of that in your family members, amongst family members, you may often find that, oh my gosh, do we ever not triangulate? I mean, are we always talking about yeah. other family members in this family? Instead of going directly to that person, we're talking with other family members about cousin so-and-so or aunt so-and-so. Yeah, and we got to recognize some of that is just natural human nature conversation. So we're not saying don't ever talk about other family members with your different family members. It's how you're communicating and what we call in conflict theory, are you building coalitions? Are you trying to form then a strategic maneuver to coerce, influence, condemn a second party person by using a third or fourth or fifth party? And think how many times... It's happened to all of us where someone was says, hey, did you hear what so-and-so did? Can you believe it? Blah, 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 blah. So they have that perception and, and we receive then that as 100% truth and as an accurate reality perception of what happened. And if we go talk to the other person, they might have a completely different view of it. And we're like, oh, that makes it really different. Mm -hmm. So when we receive these triangulations that are so common, we got to be careful to receive them as a possible perceptive truth and not just automatically assume their point of view, their lens, their motivation is 100% pure because we're all humans. And I think we need to ask ourselves a couple questions. And then I'm going to give a concrete example that I used to share with my students when I was teaching this, because one of the classes I got to develop when I was teaching grad school at Concordia was family systems, because we didn't have it in the curriculum. And of course, I told the chair, we must have this class. It's so important, not just for future therapists, because I was teaching people who are going to become therapists, but also just because it's healthy functioning. You, mm -hmm. I would submit, and I'm going to just throw it out there, that triangulation is one of the easiest to spot once you get it. Mm -hmm. And one of, it's not easy to implement 
the boundaries that are necessary to to detriangulate, to step out of triangles. But if you do so, it can be, you will see exponential growth in the health of your family. So that's why I wanted to make sure we gave an entire episode to this now that we have the foundation from the prior episodes. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to introduce you guys to the wellness company legit thrilled. Tim was even teasing me. He's like, you're going to fangirl so hard. And I do. And I have because Dr. Peter McCullough has been one of the doctors throughout the pandemic that I was looking to for truth in the midst of so much censorship. Dr. McCullough started the wellness company to build a parallel healthcare system, which is free from big pharma. And you guys know how I feel about big pharma and big medicine, which unfortunately after this pandemic, so many people have lost trust in the medical profession and the regulatory agencies for sure. In fact, recent research shows that 40% of Americans would not want to even go to a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic emergency. So the wellness company is here to bring change in the face of so much medical corruption. Part of that change is helping you take control of your health, especially in this post-pandemic world, which is why I want to talk to you about their Spike Support Formula, a revolutionary supplement. So many people were coerced to take the shot and that spike protein is not leaving their systems. The spike support formula can help. It's the only product that contains ingredients research to block and dissolve the COVID spike protein in the bloodstream, whether you got it from COVID or from the jab. Spike protein is a serious concern. And of course, we will not truly know the extent of these devastating effects for years to come, but there is something you can do now to protect yourself and keep you and your family well. Thousands of people, vaccinated or not, have reported better mental clarity, reduced inflammation, and increased energy levels. You can take spike support daily to combat spike proteins and get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Head over to twc.health slash love life and use code love life, all one word, to save 15% at checkout. That's twc.health slash love life and use code LOVELIFE for 15% off. Let me give an example of why it's so unhealthy in families and it happens so easily. So let's say you've got mom, dad, the kids are grown now, they're in their 20s and 30s. Mom and dad now have to move back to, which they should have all along, put their marital subsystem as primary and most important, but oftentimes parents don't do, see, I, I slipped into it. The husband and wife let the parenting take over as the most important role, which then, of course, undermines their marriage. So now the kids are grown, they've got empty nest syndrome, and they're struggling as a marital couple, kind of like looking at each other after 25 years of raising kids, and who are you again? Very normal in the family life cycle, and something that, it's it's a period of stress on the dyad, because they used to have the kids as that third party to diffuse any tension or stress or anxiety in the marriage, they could just look to the kids and step into their parent subsystem. Yeah, and often the parenting subsystem is really positive and they do it well together. Right. So that functionality replaces the other intimacy needs. And it can be a glue to hold the dyad together. However, comma, it's still outsourcing what they should be doing in the marital subsystem between husband and wife. 
So now you've got the husband and wife and they're struggling. So the husband's throwing himself into work to fulfill his needs. They don't really know how to relate to each other in the same way anymore, which is again, life's family life cycle. They're a different season of their marriage. And the wife is feeling abandoned. She even worries, is he having an affair? Who knows? So she does what seems reasonable to her. She talks to her adult daughter about this. Like, I'm worried about your dad and our marriage. And I don't know, he's spending so much time at work. I don't, there's that secretary of his. So she's talking to her 28-year-old daughter, thinking that this is totally fine because she's grown. It's not like she's talking to an 18-year-old daughter or an 8-year-old daughter. This is perfectly reasonable because the daughter has grown up. That is a triangulation that can be horribly impactful on all members. So let's start the basics. The basics is you loop in your daughter and for what? What? That's not going to get her anything except now that she is thinking things about her father as his role as a husband, which she can A, do nothing about, B, is none of her business, and C, could potentially cause her to then have doubts about how the trustworthiness of men as she's pursuing her romantic partnerships that's now tainting her understanding. Maybe she had a beautiful relationship for 28 years and now she's like, but if my dad's a cheat and if my dad doesn't emotionally take care of my mom, who is this man that I thought was this wonderful father? So it puts all this confusion into her mind about her father-daughter relationship by virtue of what she is perceiving because of what her mom is sharing with her about the husband-wife relationship, which again, is none of her business. She can't do anything about it, and it can only have negative ramifications for her as a young woman in pursuit of healthy romantic partnerships. It also speaks to what you talked about last episode about the danger of having your parent be your best friend. Right. Because in this context, that would be one of these cases where the mom believes her daughter's her best friend. So of course she would talk to her daughter about her own marriage issues or sibling issues, which taints daughter for uncles and aunts as well, not just father. And it's not just in the, this concept is not just with the mother, obviously it can happen all the time with fathers too, just saying, well, you know, you know how your mother is. She's this, she's that, she's this. And all of a sudden the child's looking at mom a little differently. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I didn't really think that about mom or see that about mom. And that's not even a mother issue. It's a marital issue. And so it definitely happens both genders, but since women tend to be a little more emotionally congruent and expressive, I think it happens more on that side. So that level of triangulation, especially when the parent priority relationship is weakened by adding a third party who's supposed to be hierarchically underneath it, automatically starts to fracture and fragment systemics and create long-term triangles. And again, in this case, very few daughters are going to go challenge their dad about their marriage. And so then it leaves things unspoken and you can't specify and find validity or, you know, holes in the report. You're just receiving this almost toxic level of sharing now that you have, you can't take anywhere, except you probably would end up talking to your own siblings about it or another friend. And now you're bringing more parties into your parents' marriage inappropriately. Right. So we look at the wife by triangulating her daughter into this conversation, into these, this system. She's looping in this third party. The daughter can do nothing about it. It diffuses the tension so the wife is less likely to actually approach her husband about her concerns because now she's taken, okay, I got that out of my system. 
I feel better about it. Maybe my daughter was super empathic and she validated my concerns and now I can go about my day. Well, we haven't resolved anything. And we've exponentially increased the family dysfunction because as we said, now daughter looks at her dad differently, but probably won't approach him to your point. And so now she's got un she's got these concerns that may or may not be legitimate anyway, but she's looking yeah. at her father differently. She's maybe again revising the history of their relationship as father daughter. When again, he may be a great dad, and maybe he isn't the best husband. That could be valid too, but that's not her problem. She's twenty eight years yeah. old and trying to live her life and figure out who she is and find her partnership. Whether he is a good husband or not isn't her problem. Now, when I say that, I'm sure some people would be like. But if you're a loving daughter, you want your parents to have the best marriage, you should care and you should, maybe you should say something. You should get in there and fight for your parents' marriage. Tell me, tell us, remind us, Elliot, why all of that is in fact unhealthy. Yeah, it's a, it's horrendous and puts you in a equal, if not now, higher accountability position right. than your own parents. Like you're all of a sudden got to hold your dad accountable for getting counseling or something. So No, as we're going to talk about more in a minute, I'll just introduce now. So when you feel this triangulation taking place and you're receiving inappropriate sharing, confessing from a parent or from someone who is talking about somebody else in a very core, intimate relationship that should not be to you, you got to give it back to them very quickly. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to say to mom, mom, I'm glad you're sharing. I'm glad you're venting. I'm sure you need to get this off, but it can't be me. Yeah. You know, I, I cannot enter into this. Please call one of your girlfriends or talk to one of your pastors or preferably someone extremely trustworthy because you're talking about dad in ways that aren't real healthy here or get back and approach the stuff with dad. And if necessary, get into some counseling. What we tend to do, right? Is we're like, Oh, mom needs to get this off her heart. Dad needs to get it off his chest. They do, but not to you. Right. And, and so it's that it goes back to that boundary piece. As soon as you start to feel that awkwardness, because you're going to probably feel it biophysically before you even do mentally or emotionally like, Ooh, this does not feel right. right. Trying to comment as gently and graciously as you can and to get to these marital boundary roles, anytime uh, the mother's primary identification gets solidified in children rather than husband, mm-hmm. anytime the father's gets solidified in his work or his hobbies or passions other than the mother, these kind of triangulations are vulnerable. The wife. Yes, thank you. This, these kind of triangulations are vulnerable and become primary. And, and so we have to, again, get the critical communication between husband and wife in the family system, not parents and children. Right. And it can play out, maybe not about the husband and wife. It can also play out with a parent trying to loop in one sibling, one child to say, adult child, well, your brother, he never comes home for a family dinner on Sunday and you need to make him do that. (laughs) Maybe it's not that overt. But it could be, can you help me get him there? Yeah. So it sounds like a very innocent request still not healthy right if you're interested in processing further as you align your mind body and spirit we're here for you head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with us tab there you can book individual or couples sessions or sign up for one of our support groups purchase one session or a multiple session package we'd love to work with you sign up at loveandlifemedia.com Elliot, I want to give another example of triangulation just because I think it's always helpful to get those concrete examples. But I also want to, I'm looking back at the Bowen 
research and the Bowen theory, Bowenian is what we say in family systems. Mm -hmm. Bowen says, and this goes back to what we talked about last week, that especially family members who have low levels of differentiation, they are more vulnerable and more likely to engage in triangles, Mm, unhealthy triangles, triangulation in this case. Speak to that a bit. Yeah, well, I know that in my own life, being the rebel for a while and then trying to get myself healthy and appropriate that I'd so long danced around any kind of authenticity and straightforwardness with everybody, even though I was super direct, right? And to the point of like confrontational, it was still often posturing and maneuvering to do something else. And, and so when I started to try to get, not started, when I was getting healthy and stronger and studying these family systems for my graduate work, it was really trying to create a whole different pattern of communicating. And so I always had, it was the strange part of our family system, right? Despite my rebellion and my obnoxiousness, I always had a very close relationship with mom. Even though I tortured her with my behavior, we shared, I told her all kinds of stuff, stuff she didn't want to hear. <laughs> I just was an open book there. So then when I'm healthy, I found myself, I think repositioning myself in the family by then talking about you and Warren in ways that weren't necessarily unhealthy or wrong, but trying to almost like reveal things or share things to help maneuver the family in a way that wasn't necessary, right? You and Warren are very intelligent, strong communicating adults. So the concrete part there was even in a positive framework of trying to be healthy in communications, I think I was incidentally triangulating with no real intention or purpose, but no health. It didn't get stronger. Compare that to the last 20 years or so, mom would bring something up about an issue maybe she might have or be frustrated with you or warn about. And I just come right back to mom. Hey, I understand. Give them a call. Give them a text. Just talk it through with them and not come to you and say something about it or not come to warn. And same with us as siblings to, if we have a struggle with one another or something with mom or dad when he was still alive, trying to help each other just process back into, hey, I get your point, but you probably need to talk to dad about it. And sometimes dad was intimidating. It was hard sometimes to bring certain things up with him. I remember when I told him I was going to be a pastor, that was not an easy conversation. He was proud, but fearful, didn't like the idea of it, just felt I'd worked so hard to get a really high position here at Judson. He's like, why would you give that up? And so it was just difficult. I I had avoided the conversation for a long time and I knew I had to do it and probably talked to you and Warren a bunch about it or Angie and not directly going to him. I, I wanted and needed his blessing and I needed to just go to it and lay it out. Well, he had worked in the church as a choir director for so many years. He knew that pastors get a lot of grief. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, pastors get yeah, blamed for everything in a church, and it can be a very thankless job, and they don't get paid a whole lot. And Dad always wanted you yeah, to go and, out and yeah, and he was viewing it from the lens also from his personality, his temperament, not mine, because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, the drain of that emotionally and relationally, and and so we we did eventually have great conversations about it, and I at that point in life was strong enough and authentic enough to say, dad, I want your blessing on this. You know, I don't think I need it because I feel the call from the Lord. I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I want your blessing. I want you to be behind me because you're so supportive and encouraging. And of course, once he did, then that switch goes off for him. And he went from being concerned and not super happy about it to sending me books and articles and, you know, all kinds of stuff to help the movement then. Yeah. So again, right, that's just a soft example of, of triangulation. Well, and you avoided the triangulation in this case, you Mm -hmm. said, as you grew. So I want to circle back to what you talked about earlier. I think that's interesting from the differentiation piece. What what we're seeing here in our family, I think we, I don't know, we could analyze it. I think we were kind of at times chaotically enmeshed, thanks to you. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> but <clears throat> and that's for another day. But since you spoke to it, you with being the troublemaker for the first 18 years of your life, you did end up being, in a sense, a triangle with mom and dad. Because mm -hmm. anything that was going on with their marriage, and, and we've talked about this before, there was times when dad was working so hard, moving up the ladder, becoming dean or assistant dean at the at CCM, blah, blah. And so you're, we've analyzed over the years, your troublemaking was one way to make sure dad come back home, make sure you don't. Yeah, I think Mnuchin says that the family, children will act out in certain ways to keep the family system together, whether it's compliance, achievement, rebellion, chaos. Now, we're not ruling out individualistic issues, but I, I love those kind of theories. I think they make a ton of sense. It's a helpful framework through which to analyze when you're older. And that's what we did a lot when you were getting your master's in counseling psych and I was getting my master's in clinical psych. I remember going to Warren and Leah's house and yeah, we would, you and Angie so and me and I think nobody at the point, but <laughs> would sit there and talk about all the family systems and the family rules that we encountered and just try to apply what we were learning to our own understanding mm -hmm. and processing of our, of our childhood and our family of origin. So you were kind of a modal point. And then as you got healthier, you were saying you still had that energy of trying to, initially you acted out, which was your way mm -hmm. of keeping the family together. And then you thought maybe perhaps, and you're getting this degree in counseling, you maybe took on this this role that maybe wasn't yours is what you're saying, where you were still trying exactly. to micromanage family relationships with pure intentions here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and what you're saying, bringing it back to differentiation, that as you were individuating and trying to get that appropriate level of connectedness and separateness, and, and connectedness, in this case, you were doing too much connectedness, thinking it was your responsibility right. to try to make sure all the other family exactly. relationships were okay, were healthy. And in fact, by doing so, that was actually unhealthy. Right. Because by you getting in there, you're denying people the opportunity to have that one-on-one -on -one interaction that they need to have that is, in fact, Yeah, healthy. my lack of differentiation slowed down your individuation. Right. In a sense, systemically, yeah. not necessarily, you know, hands on. And because mom and dad were both very vulnerable to different levels of enmeshment and lack of differentiation because they had to isolate and remove themselves from their family system, some emotional cutoff, some severance based on health, but occasionally a little dramatically so in dad's case. I think they were more prone as much as they did not want us. I mean, dad wanted to get us out of the house. He'd say it all the time in a good way. Get out and do your thing. Get out on your own. Go try stuff. Go, you know. But there was still that pull and tug of like, well, who's going to have that emotional connection then if we all just fly away? Mm -hmm. So I think every family has a little bit of this, but I think you labeled it correctly. It was a little bit of a chaotic enmeshment, enmeshment out of the crisis piece. And then as we all moved on and received our educations and our achievements and our movements, it was trying to create a different structure of healthy differentiation. Though dad would often say to Warren and I, why are you guys in each other's business yeah. so much? You're in a band together. You work the same school. You hang out and see each other. You know, yeah. it was just a level of brotherhood, but was so foreign to him that it didn't make sense. But he was also being wise about, hey, don't feel like you have to do it that way. And there was some wisdom in that. Right. So that leads me to a really good example of what we were talking about, which is, again, since we're sharing personal Anderson family history, I'll go there, which gives another example for the listeners to connect with and perhaps at least see as a template that maybe they can start identifying triangles in their own family. So when I was struggling, my second boyfriend at Judson and mom and dad did not think that he was the best fit for me for a variety of reasons that may have been fair or unfair. And I was 
the good girl. You had been the troublemaker. So I had always been the compliant child, never gave mom and dad a moment's worry. And all of a sudden I'm the one now who's causing Other than a really, thing. really hmm. messy room, a really messy oh, room. Oh yeah. That's, that was always that a caused some consternation. It was a big disappointment. I don't blame them. Cause I don't <laughs> No, Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it's like you were super compliant, but you did not keep your room the way they wanted it. So I triangulated because I felt that my efforts to talk to mom and dad were not being received well. I would try to explain, this is a great relationship. We have all these quality characteristics as a couple, and they were not listening to me. And so I looped you in, in particular, and Warren too, but you were at that point that you were just talking about, where you were feeling this urgency to try to help smooth over things in the family. And so I reached just out to you. Just grow and strengthen, yep. What's that? I grow and strengthen family connections because they weren't in crisis state. But just to try to get, now that I felt this new health, I wanted everyone to feel it at super high levels. So that was an opportunity that I took to triangulate and you received it. At that point, you weren't at mm -hmm. the place where you are now where you'd probably say, you know, that's something you got to work out with mom and dad and actually individually, in, in fact. Yeah. So that would be another example of triangulation, a young adult. Well, to finish the story a little bit too, that so your listeners understand, you invited me to go with you. I did. For the connection, we met halfway between Cincinnati and Chicago to kind of have this powwow and sit down and just walk through it. And and you were doing your homework and prepping and we practiced how you're going to share and communicate. You know, I was just kind of coaching at that point. Again, my intentions were good. My motivations are good, but they didn't help. You know, it maybe gave mom and dad a little bit of peace that their now healthy son felt this guy was a really quality guy and there was worth and value to this relationship. But that is about it. Well, yeah. And just a very clear example of that is we sat down at the restaurant and I just couldn't even talk. I was, yeah, you didn't, you didn't get a whole lot out. I didn't, I guess like no. froze up. And so you ended up having to speak for me, which as a young woman in her Makes early twenties, yeah. that was not healthy. Yeah. So we thought we were trying to do something good. <laughs> That's a lot of backstory, but with some personal examples that I hope will be valuable. Yeah. Well, we want our listeners to know that though we have a lot of experiences and know this research and this, this material really well, doesn't mean we don't wrestle with it too. Yeah. Right. So even though we are almost quasi experts in family systems, we were wrestling through it. We still can, if we're not careful. Mm -hmm. For sure. We, uh, we learn from, we learn from pain. That's one. Yeah. I remember from Wheaton and one of my professors said, we're wounded healers. Mm -hmm. So, and I think sometimes our mess becomes our message where I think we both gravitated to family systems because we did have this family that we, adore to this day. And, but we're like, honestly, we all had family dysfunction. Every family's dysfunctional if you want in, in some way, shape or form. So we've learned a lot by virtue of studying quite a bit for sure. And also then trying to take what we studied and apply it. And that's why getting back to what I talked about a moment ago, I was so adamant that Concordia's master's program have a family systems course. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love and Life family. So Elliot, you talked a little bit about a few minutes ago how to manage a triangulation because it's probably going to come to, I would, I would argue, that probably every single family at Christmas is going to have a Christmas party or dinner and someone in that family is going to triangulate. 
And you might say, listen, I'm not the one doing it, but they might come to you to try to loop you in. And you mentioned a very nice way to be empathic and hear the person and then put up a boundary there to say, I can't have this conversation with you. It's really, and I don't know. I mean, saying it's none of my business maybe seems harsh. but a little, Yeah, it could be a little harsh depending on the personality. Right. But but I think for listeners who say, well, I'm a peacemaker, I'm I'm calm, I'm... I don't stir things up. Well, you're likely the one they're coming to more than. Right. They see you as a safe space. Because it's not normally the agitator provokers that they're going to come to, but they're going to come to those who want family harmony and family peace and who tend to be a little more reserved and quiet because they're like, oh, I can tell them something good and they're not going to go blab it, but maybe they'll go relay a message for me. And then out of the goodness of our heart, we go over and say, mom, do you know what you said just a few minutes ago really hurt Karen's feelings and and maybe that's true, maybe it's not. And all of a sudden, then mom feels something different. And right. And then maybe mom's afraid to address you. Then she goes over to one of the grandchildren and say, You think I just hurt your mother's feelings or your right. aunt's feelings? Right. And all of a sudden, we got multiple triangulations going around. And you said every family likely has at least one triangulation during these holidays. I'd say there's multiple ones going all the time. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way back to the foundational stuff we were talking about mm-hmm. ownership, boundaries big picture. And so, yes, graciously, for some people listening, this might be brand new theoretical ideas that are going to be, wow, I just kind of got to observe them for a while before I can actually act on them. That's fine too. But as you feel it come in, as someone says to you, hey, would you go talk to so-and-so about something? And -and so-and-so is right there. That's when you just got to gently come back and say, mom, brother, sister, whoever, spouse, I love you and I understand your concern. I think you probably need to go talk to them yourself. I can support you in some way or pray for you or even walk over and hand you off, but mm-hmm. trying to be as gracious and polite as possible. And if they, you know, get a little upset or reject you or turn around in a huff, well then let it go. You know, it's not your issue to all of a sudden come. And what happens then for those of us who are real pleasers, we might go, oh, I guess I better do it. And so then we mm-hmm. go over and get ourselves right in the middle of something. And if the other person wasn't healthy or mature enough to handle it themselves, it's not going to help for you to go get in there. Now there's going to be multiple immature, unhealthy approaches going. And that's when these little family schisms can take place. And a great family event can all of a sudden turn filled with tension and apprehension and strange looks and trying to figure out, did someone say something? Did they not? And how does someone feel about this? How does someone, you know, it's like all these undertones just start to keep things out of the present get things into the subconscious and into the what ifs and the what ands and overthinking and we lose presence. And the pattern may have been established years ago in childhood. So for example, Decades. again, bringing it home, mm-hmm. when we were in high school probably, or maybe I was still in middle school and we'd want to run around and go to the movies or something. You tell me, go ask dad for money. <laughs> Absolutely. Because yeah. you knew there was a better chance the doll babe was going to get 50 bucks than you. 100%. So that's a, a funny little adolescent example. But if that pattern has been in place and you haven't done your work and your individuation, individuation personally with your family of origin, and then the differentiation levels within the family haven't gotten healthier, that's why, again, we had to set up this conversation with last week's episode. Then that's And that's why Bowen is saying if your family level of differentiation is low, meaning there's overconnectedness, enmeshment, or the cutoff that, as you talked about a moment ago, doesn't allow for mature, healthy growth in interpersonal relationships within the family because you're cut off and you're stuck at, well, I cut him off when I was 22 years old 
and I'm 42 now. Well, yeah, part of you is emotionally 22. That's just how it is. It just mm -hmm. works. That's just how it works. I'm not saying it works well, but that's just how things work. So those patterns may be in place for a long time that you, it's really hard for you to even see, oh, what this is a triangulation. This is what we're talking mm -hmm. about here. Yeah. And a lot of it is relatively innocent. Right. But it established patterns that then become dangerous for deeper issues. Mm -hmm. Was it a big deal that I had you go ask dad for 20 bucks because I'd probably already stolen half of his money <laughs> that week anyway and, and had a bad report from school and, you know, all those other things. So he was going to be a little more annoyed and you had the princess role. That's not, that's a pretty harmless thing. And it's, general context. But then when that gets into deeper, more important issues, because that rooted pattern, that's when it becomes dangerous. Yeah. And so again, it's just trying to catch those things, recognize them, um, be present in them when you receive, especially that biophysiological response, when just something gets you all of a sudden, you got a little stomach ache or a little headache, and you're like, where'd that come from? Trying to do a little reflection. Again, some people get really overstimulated in the beautiful chaos of 20 family members in a room together and all the presence and all the noise and all the, so man, get some reflective space. You know, in your case, it's like, oh, well, we got to run to Jewel and get some more Coke. And I'm not saying you're using that as a strategy, but it probably helps. It gets a little time to breathe and, and reflect or to, you know, let's go home and walk Twinkie, get Twinkie out. It just gives you space and breath a little bit to not get so enveloped within the family systemic that these instinctual nuanced patterns that have been rooted for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years can actually take too much precedent over our new health, our new strength. That's what you and I talked about way from the beginning of these episodes. When you're in that family systemic again, environmental cues, rooted family patterns can just come flying back up that you thought you had, right. you had cured and health healed many, many times. And so it's just being reflective of that receiving the biophysiological responses and making sure, oh, I need to be aware of that. Or, you know what, I got to go back in and, and talk to my brother and make sure he knows I was a little bit out of line going through his son to talk to him about something, you know, and uh, have some grace for yourself, have some forgiveness, but be intentional. And as you pointed out in the beginning, detriangulating may involve just not even engaging in a conversation. So we've talked about instances where someone wants you to do something or they subtly hope that you will go and have a conversation on their behalf without even overtly telling you, but that's what the agenda might be, even if it's unbeknownst to them. That's kind of what they hope will happen. But even gossip within families, like you talked about. Yeah. So it would be something where, did you hear what happened to cousin so-and-so? And that's just not useful conversation. And I, when I would teach this, Elliot, sometimes a student would raise their hand and be like, honestly, if I did triangulate from every relationship in my family, we will have nothing to talk about. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, I get it. And then I would tell them, mm -hmm. then bring up, a movie you just went to, to see. Yeah, new things. Yeah. Or a TV show. You're, talk about Ted Lasso. Uh, the Kardashians, if that's your thing. I mean, anything other than the family drama, because what's happening, and to your point that you made so eloquently earlier, this is one person's perception of another relationship, and then they're sharing their perception with you, which could taint your perception. And none of that is anything you can do anything about, nor is it your business, nor is it actually factual do we know yeah and it it's, can be so troublesome because then people are being painted by virtue of someone else's perception our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships elliot and i are here to help we'd love to design a workshop seminar or weekend retreat for your organization We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. 
will share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. So let's leave the listeners with three questions they can ask themselves if they are starting to think that, wow, I mean, they might be analyzing now some of their interactions. And again, it would be probably very abnormal if you didn't identify multiple Mm -hmm. triangles in your family. So don't feel any kind of shame or, oh my gosh, I totally have been triangulating for years now. It's okay. It's a very stable way of functioning. That's why people do it. Like Mm -hmm. we talked about in roommate relationships and friendships, coworkers at work, and certainly in families. So the one question that comes to mind, Elliot, that we can invite the listeners to ask themselves is just a basic, is this my business? And, And challenging the notion that to love your family deeply and intimately means that you have to be in everyone's business. Yeah. And that the same kind of question that you might need to ask, because some people are going to say, yes, it is my business when it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So is it my problem or can I solve this yes. or can I be part of the, you got to kind of give yourself some framework. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are just naturally nosy and invasive in relationships, trying to find the right framework question. I think your, your initial thought on that question is fantastic. It just might have different semantics for different people. Well, no, my second question follow-up was, can I actually help? And that's what you're getting at is mm-hmm. yeah. to figure out, yeah, maybe you're right. The question, is this my business? Yeah, it's my business. I love my family. I want to help them. And then to ask, well, can you actually help? And then maybe the third question is, how? So challenging your own assumption, how how is my involvement going to help this at all? And go back to Elliot's and my examples of Elliot trying to help me to talk to my parents actually... I lost my voice because I leaned on him too much to be the voice for me. Was that helping my maturity, my growth, my relationship as an adult child with my family, with my parents? No, it didn't. Nor mine. Right. Yeah, neither. You took on a role that wasn't yours. You were feeling a burden that wasn't yours to carry. Can I help? And is this healthy? Okay. Is this healthy? I like that. Right. Maybe we have a little holistic measure on top of it. Because a lot of times, again, with the family dynamic, we feel a burden and a responsibility to help in ways that's truly not healthy, right. even though we're used to it. Mm-hmm. That happens if anyone's got a family system with an alcoholic, with a mentally struggled person, illness, I hate to use that so framework, but a pretty strong disorder or any of those things that swallows up family power and this family dynamic. And so we all can get caught into catering to that power source in ways that aren't healthy, even if it helps. Yeah. So it's trying to look holistically at both. Yeah, because it may seem that it helped on the surface, but all it did was reduce the opportunity for that person to really demonstrate their individuation. Yeah, it's firmly, often our help more firmly roots unhealthy triangulation. Mm -hmm. So again, just having words, maybe being prepared. If you're starting to identify some of these triangulations in your family, just being prepared as you're driving to that family gathering, that when your sister-in-law comes to you and wants to, do, 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 talk about this, that, and the other, about this other family member, just be ready with, hey, Julie, I hear that that's on your heart and that's a that's a big concern and I, and I love you so much and I, I, I'll i be praying about that. I don't think that my involvement is going to help anything and it's, it's and I don't mean to be- It's not healthy. It's not yeah. healthy for me. It's, it's not yeah. healthy for me to be engaged Keeping the ownership on self again as much as possible um, and the the context of practicing 
if you have some difficult family systems and you certainly want to be there for the holidays, but you are walking into one of those dynamics we just talked about with a unhealthy power source that everyone has to cater to, and that's just the reality. So if you're going to go, you're going to have to kind of be a part of that system in some regard, practicing ahead of time with your spouse, with your siblings, about how you're going to communicate to these unhealthy triangulations in ways that is full of agency, advocacy, ownership, boundaries, accountability, responsibility. And be prepared for pushback because when you change the dance, there will be a lot of backlash. There may be, Julie may come at you with like, well, I thought you really loved me and cared about me. I mean, you you, be prepared for some very snarky responses because- Yeah, and practicing your responses. You're right, I really do. And that's why I have to change. Not you have to change, I have to change, right? So you can affirm the love again, even though they're countering- Mm -hmm. And questioning that love, you can affirm it right there. Oh, it's because I love you so much that I have to change. Mm-hmm. I have to. I have to do things differently. Mm-hmm. I need to be more healthy. You're not pushing it on them. Mm-hmm. But you're, that was a great point, Karen. Yeah, the stronger the power nuance, the stronger the addiction, the stronger the disorder, whatever, the more likely the pushback will be sometimes dramatically, dramatically hard. I've worked with clients who say things like their mom said, well, then you're not my child anymore. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty high level of severance. Right. So trying to block a triangulation pattern or an unhealthy oppression mm-hmm. pattern. So yeah, we don't, we don't want to make light of these mm-hmm. and it's profoundly difficult to do, but the reward is exponentially joyful, mm-hmm. even though you're going to have to process through pain along the way. So questions to ask yourself as you go to these family gatherings. One, is this my business? And very much challenge yourself if you have been mm-hmm in the habit of taking things on in your family, taking on other relationships as somehow yours to manage and and that is somehow yours to shoulder that burden. Two, can I actually help? If I think it is my business, can I actually help? How would I actually help? And then third, I love that, is this healthy based on what we've been sharing the last several weeks about is this really healthy family functioning? And again, Bringing Bowen back, if your family has a pattern of low differentiation where people are enmeshed or people are cut off and you're starting to see this, know that that is going to, you're likely going to have more triangles at work, more triangulation at work. And when you start, change your dance steps in the family dances and you pull away from that three-pronged stable system, there will be more backlash. The less differentiation amongst family members, the more you can anticipate they're going to come for you when you try to change and move toward health. And the higher the role and the status in the family system, the more difficult this is to do. So if you're a firstborn, caretaker, family hero, systemic cleanser and unifier, for you to not triangulate is much different than someone who's kind of lower on the pecking order and is just part of the family gathering. So uh, why don't you pray us out today, Karen? Whoa. My pastoral sister. (laughs) Okay. God, we are just feeling so blessed at this time of year to gather with family and knowing that family is such a gift. And I know that there's been a lot of hurt and pain in many families. And in fact, all families go through some sort of hurt. So we know that that's just the fallen world, the fallen humanity, but we also know that there's redemption and that growth is always possible and that you are the God of healing and of hope. And we thank you for that always. And then certainly this time of year when we celebrate 
Jesus and his coming to earth to remind us that he is the light of the world and that there's one glimmer of light can break through the darkness. And that's just such Mm -hmm. a beautiful metaphor of truth for this time of year. And we just pray that everything we've talked about can be supportive, healing, and help individuals as they work on themselves and their emotional growth and development, that that will have ripple effects throughout their families, even though that's not their job. But we pray that that would be a result as well. And thank you for your everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.